Hey everyone, it's Patrick. I've got some exciting news. In this episode, you may hear some allusions to the fact that our iOS ITB app is not yet out, but actually that's not true. It is actually out now, finally released. So go to the App Store on iOS, type in Inside the Boards, download our app for exclusive and expanded shows, early access to content or podcasts that we're going to be releasing in the future, some meditations designed specifically for medical students with the hope that they'll be used during your dedicated USMLE prep time to help you stay a little bit healthier. And then, of course, high-yield samples from our All Audio QBank and the option to purchase a subscription. If you're a previous subscriber via Podbean, keep an eye on your email. We'll be sending you instructions on how to transfer your current subscription so that you can access the Audio QBank on the new iOS app. It is a beta version. It's not perfect, but I think it is perfect as a companion to help you study on the go while you're driving, working out, whatever you have to do in life. We're hoping to give you back some time through producing this Audio QBank. Thank you for being patient with me as we've gone through this journey together. I'm very excited about Inside the Boards. I'm very excited about helping you with your medical education. And hopefully, we're able to do at least something to make your lives a little bit better. So, thank you so much for listening. Go download our app. This episode is sponsored by Med School Tutors. Don't forget, we have an audio blog series which features some of the best and Actually, I think the best blog articles in the medical education space, especially those related to in-depth question breakdowns and well-being and advice for your time during medical education. The full title of our main show is Inside the Boards for the USMLE Comlex and Med School. So check that out and check out medschooltutors.com for all your shelf exam step two and step one mentorship and virtual tutoring needs. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Before we get into our question dissections today, just a shout out to AMSA for supporting the Inside the Boards podcast as well. Here's a little excerpt we did from an interview at AMSA 2019. Welcome back, Boards Insiders. I am here with Akash Patel. He's from the New York Institute of Technology College of Osteopathic Medicine, and he is a fourth-year medical student. What are you going into? So I applied for anesthesia. What about anesthesia do you like? So I really like the hands-on uh, feel of the the hands-on uh, aspect of the, of the of the field. Okay. What made you pick anesthesia over the other ones? So with anesthesia, uh, there's a there's a lot of pharmacology. There's a there's a lot of physiology that happens, and I feel like I learned a lot about that stuff during the first and, and second year of uh, of medical school, and I really enjoyed it. And I wanted to go into a field where I applied all those skills a lot. And then once I did rotations of anesthesia, I did, I did a little bit of research on anesthesia, and I saw that. There's a lot of like a lot of phase, a lot of farm, a lot of why things happen, and you get to apply those skills. So 
and end up trying to go into anesthesia. That's awesome. Yeah, I think anesthesia sounds, I mean, I always thought it was interesting on clinical rotations. That's awesome. How do you feel about audio resources? Are you a podcast listener or anything? So, yeah, I actually, I definitely do enjoy um, audio resources. I feel like there's definitely a way to implement them um, that could definitely be helpful. Because, like, especially for, like, medical students, we have a lot of time during rotations, maybe, like, on the way to rotations, going back home from rotations. A lot of time that's just... Honestly, it's like wasted time. It's like time that we're not doing anything. Right. Uh, but but it's hard to use that time to actually study sometimes, and it's hard to it's hard to use that time to read textbooks or do questions because it's it's time in the hospital where you're in between seeing patients or you've seen the patients for the day and you wrote the charts for the day, but you're waiting for something to happen. Um, so you you still can't have a dedicated time to study, but you do have time to do things. So you can easily put, a, put on a pair of headphones and listen to podcasts. Um, right. If I'm driving back from rotations after a long day, I, I, I don't want to like sit there and study, but I can listen to a podcast on the way home and stuff. So there's definitely a way to use them. And Okay. Uh, what advice would you give for someone who's preparing to take step one or step two? Okay. So someone taking step one or step two, I would say there's a, there's a lot of advice that I could give, but I think the biggest thing is repeat and recall. I think those are the two biggest things. Definitely have a dedicated period. Uh, towards towards where um, before you're taking your exam and, and in that dedicated period to try to recall as much information as possible and try to repeat a lot of the things that you learned in the past because if you think about it you probably learned everything you need to know for the exam in the in the past years of medical school the whole the whole thing is you need to know all of that on the day of the exam right and the and the way you do that is the last few weeks the last like three or four weeks you really want to try to summarize or try to review as much material as possible and what it comes down to is trying to reviewing every single day up to the day of the exam. So, so a lot of reviewing. Uh, we've been asking people, how do you study differently than other people? Because our theme has been study different. Like like you were saying, use audio resources, use all the resources that you have. Don't just sit and you know read a textbook all day. Uh, how do you think that you study differently? Um, so I I use a variety of resources. I've used video lectures and even. I've used podcasts. I've also tried to read textbooks, flashcards and stuff. Um, the one thing I've done differently for step two that I, that I really enjoyed was, so I watched video lectures and I took my own notes from the video lectures. And then I kind of created like a little mini first aid, I guess, in which I, in which I study for during, during my clinical rotations. And the reason it helped me is because those were notes that I created myself. So it helped me go back to them and, and remember them a lot better since mm -hmm. I wrote them instead of me reading them from someone else. So putting it in your own words, synthesizing the material, putting it yeah. down, and then reviewing that's what you had synthesized seemed like a better way. It's like a better way just because it was more familiar to me. And it came back to me a lot easier because I initially wrote to, to begin with. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All right, that's it. Thanks, AMSA. And now, into our interview. Welcome to the Inside the Boards podcast. I am Patrick Beeman, your host today. Matthew Eisenstadt from Med School Tutors joins me. We're going to be breaking down some internal medicine questions here for our Step 2 Study Smarter series, specifically today uh, covering some cardiology stuff. So, Matt, thank you and welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Patrick. Yeah, so uh, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background and your credentials uh, to do this? Uh, yeah, so um, I started getting into tutoring a little late into med school. I, I went to a med school that was pretty new, so we didn't have a lot of tutoring in place. And so I helped uh, sort of get some tutoring for board study off the ground. 
um, which really uh, started my interest in tutoring. Then I went off to residency in emergency medicine and uh, around year three of residency decided that I wanted to get back into tutoring and teaching. So got in touch with the uh, med school tutors folks and uh, started talking with them. All right, cool. And what year are you? So third year in emergency medicine. Four-year program or three-year? Three-year program. Ooh, nice. Okay. Yeah, finish line is close. Ooh, uh, that's a good feeling, man. <laughs> I don't know. Do, I, I imagine with emergency medicine that uh, there's not as significant a difference uh, from you know years one, two, and three in terms of you know what what you're assigned to, or am I mistaken on that? Uh, I mean, we do we do a lot of off service stuff. So, oh, do you? Uh, it's a little different, but. The emergency department is the emergency department. Yeah, I guess what I'm asking is third year better than first year? It is. It okay. Is significantly That's better. That's the important part. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, are you hoping to go into like a private uh, practice setting or or not private practice, I guess, but a uh, academic setting or, or what? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually uh, about to try to match into a toxicology fellowship so ah cool uh i actually find out this week so all right cool if we need somebody to cover uh ingestions at some point (laughs) on the show we will ask you back you always need someone to cover ingestions Uh, i bet um well, uh, I don't want to diverge too much from the task at hand, uh, but I bet it's of interest to our audience. Uh, why toxicology? That seems, I don't know, like a very arcane subspecialty within medicine. It's, it's basically a subspecialty in uh, medical history. So it's, uh, it's super nerdy. It's a lot of fun. It's a good balance to the emergency department. All right, cool. Well, let's just get right into this then. We have a 25-year-old female presents with the chief complaints of palpitations. Her symptoms have been occurring intermittently over the past 10 days. They occur suddenly and resolve on their own within a few minutes. Review of systems is negative for chest pain and dyspnea. Her past medical history is unremarkable. She does not smoke or consume alcohol, but does drink two to three caffeinated energy drinks daily. Vital signs are within normal limits. On physical examination, lid lag is observed. Palpation of the neck reveals an enlarged, firm thyroid gland. Cardiac auscultation shows a grade 3 out of 6 systolic murmur, best heard at the left upper sternal border. A mid-systolic click is appreciated at the cardiac apex. Finally, an EKG shows sinus tachycardia, but is otherwise normal. The most appropriate next step in diagnosis is A. Ambulatory ECG monitoring B. Serum TSH levels C. Measurement of urine catecholamines or D. An echocardiogram How would you approach this if I were... You know, I just signed up on med school tutors and I'm like, I want to work with uh, uh, Dr. Eisenstadt <laughs> and I, I just don't know how to, to approach these questions. Sure. Uh, so I preach pretty heavy the idea of keeping the same format when you're going through a question every single time. So getting a bit of a rhythm and I, I feel like that keeps people on task when they're taking the test. It keeps people from uh, taking too little time or too much time, that sort of thing. So I always will start with the final portion of the question 
So in this particular question, the most appropriate next step in diagnosis is. So you know that uh, before you even read the rest of the stem, you know that the question is about a diagnostic step. So you're not actually diagnosing the disease, which is really important on the stem because there's a little bit of ambiguity as to both the heart rhythm that she might actually be having and the, the underlying thyroid problem itself. So uh, a, a couple of uh, ways that you can maybe shave off uh, some extra time looking at the stem if you if you know what you're looking at going into it. Yeah, so we're looking for the most appropriate next step in diagnosis, which, um, you know, I, I don't know how much this happens, but I feel like it happened to me a lot when I was studying for my board exams uh, before I did certain things like implement a consistent um, approach, you know, like a, a essentially a formulaic standardized way of answering each and every one of the uh, questions that was thrown at me was I'd see a stem line or excuse me, an interrogatory like that. And I'd be like the most appropriate next step in diagnosis is and be looking for a diagnosis. It's itself or something like that. And then be terribly disappointed when none of the answer choices uh, matched up. Or they give you the diagnosis and then you just wasted a bunch of time. Or the interrogatory is something like the most appropriate next step in diagnosis when the most appropriate next step in management is listed within uh, the answer choices. So I guess first point uh, you'd probably agree with is make sure you understand what the question is actually asking. What seems obvious. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's amazing how many people don't do that sort of just building the, the the foundations of good test taking skills. But then, yeah, getting into the question. So you've got a 25 year old female right off the bat. Uh, the demographic is important. You've got someone who's probably uh, has no other comorbidities. Um, young female is sort of uh, board question code for maybe autoimmune. Um, yeah. So just right off the bat, you've, you've, yeah, got a little bit of narrowing down of what could be going on. A couple of things that I wanted to point out from the stem. So palpitations are super vague. Um, they can happen in paroxysmal SVTs, AFib, a flutter, uh, PACs, PVCs. You just don't know what's going on, especially considering, you know, maybe she's not having that rhythm that the time of the EKG is obtained. Uh, so it, it, it's not really worthwhile digging too much into that. And then when you start to get to the rest of the question, then it starts to make sense as to what they're getting at. The The big, 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 big um, buzzword is the lid lag and the eye symptoms. So uh, very, very specific for particular thyroid diseases like Graves. Um, and then you have a a couple of added little tidbits of information. So just the supporting evidence, Yeah, the grossly enlarged thyroid. So you're less likely thinking this is an adenoma or malignancy or anything like that. And then it's always interesting when they throw in these, uh, these murmurs. So (laughs) the murmur that's described is probably a mitral valve prolapse murmur would be my thoughts. You got that click 
uh, out at the apex is a young, otherwise healthy female. But half the time, you don't really need to know that murmur to get the question right. So I I love teaching my students uh, the six or seven murmurs you have to know. Yeah, it's a good uh, it's a good topic just to like have in your arsenal. But very often uh, you can get around that. Uh, so don't panic if you see a murmur and you're not sure what it is. Because in this case, it's a, it's a prolapse murmur. has a little association with graves, but just, you know, nah, you could do without it. So a bit of a throwaway. I guess I, I would say um, if I... If I didn't have more familiarity with uh, thyroid-related diseases, like, you know, I was a third-year medical student just learning on my emergency medicine internal med rotation, I might think, oh, crap, here here are the two things I'm going to get stuck on. Uh, Palpation of the neck's got an enlarged firm thyroid, um, but then the auscultation shows this systolic murmur and mid-systolic click. Maybe I don't remember exactly which murmur or, or which valve this uh, relates to. Uh, so I, I know they're trying to trick me, so I'm not going to pick thyroid-stimulating hormone because that's too obvious. It's not going to be that easy. How would you address uh, students who fall into that sort of trap? Because uh, a lot of us do. Yeah, I know. that is. Uh, I hear that all too commonly. Uh, so the hardest thing is getting in the mind of the test maker so understanding that uh, very frequently on the, the step two questions and the, uh, the shelf exams, the, the people writing this test are clinicians. Yeah. And they're, they're people who are seeing patients in real life. And their, their goal in making these questions is not to just uh, make your life miserable. They're trying to you know, teach you some important clinical finding. And so you sort of have to think in the, uh, in the mindset of the test maker. So uh, and there's a couple of ways that I do that. So I distill it down to going from, uh, especially when you're talking about le- uh, diagnostic testing. Yeah. Go go from least to most invasive. If they ask you the next test, they're not going to ask you to do a brain biopsy or something like that. You're you're going to get the simple test. Go from simple to more complex. So we've got. Uh, we can talk a little bit more specifically about some of these uh, foils on the question, but you've got some pretty complex, very, very advanced tests that just, they're just not your first line uh, in in real life. And so why would they ask you to come up with that as a first line test on a, on a question just doesn't, doesn't make sense. So getting in the mind of the test maker. Absolutely. And that's, that's what we say a lot too, is think like a question writer, you know, like if I looked at these answer choices without considering the vignette that preceded them, I'd probably be like ambulatory ECG monitoring. I don't even remember seeing that as treated more than like a bullet point in first aid or a review book. So I bet that's not really going to be an answer here. Of course, testing somebody's uh, TSH level or measuring uh, urine catecholamines or getting an echo, all of that sounds like within the wheelhouse of what I'm seeing every day and, you know, on the uh, wards or, or wherever the case may be. I don't know. I would say it's probably pretty um, 
safe, like you say, to at least rule out some of the fancier second or third line tests. And then two, if you don't know what the test does uh, and or is, and you do know what all the others are, I would say like, unless you're absolutely 100% confident it is not, uh, the answer is not something um, that you've ruled out uh, uh, by your knowledge and what's in the vignette. Uh, I would not pick a fancy test or a third no. line test, you know? Yeah. And I, I see so many students fall into that trap. They see some long word that, you know, they just, they've never heard of before. And the assumption is that, well, you know, it, it's a fancy test, so it has to be a better test. And, <laughs> you know, you just pick the thing you don't know. I, I, I see that so frequently. And um, just from coming at it from a like a like a t- question writer standpoint, there's a lot of foils. So foils being sort of distractor questions. And the, the easy way to put in a foil is to put an off-the-wall word that sounds like it could be right, but um, has really nothing to do with the question. So don't go for the trap. Yep. So the answer here, uh, do you want to cover that first, the actual correct answer, or walk through these distractors real quick? Let's let's go through distractors first. Let's do that. All right. Choice A was ambulatory ECG monitoring. If I picked that, I would say I may have been swayed because I had a really good cardiology rotation um, (laughs) at uh, the University of Toledo with uh, Dr. Blair Grubb, great teacher, Um, did a lot in um, autonomic uh, uh, pathology, which (laughs) is pretty cool. Yeah, so he'd put on these Holter monitors, and uh, the other thing is I remember a MKSAP question that talked about somebody who had PVCs like 3,000 times a day Mm. on a Holter monitor but had no symptoms whatsoever. And uh, the explanation within that that book at the time was like, it's not symptomatic, meh, don't worry about it. I, I don't know how true that is or rather how true my memory is. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd look at this and I'd be like, okay, uh, two to three, you know, Red Bulls a day she's drinking. Um, caffeine can cause PVCs. If you have palpitations and you want to rule in PVCs as a cause, you're going to need to have some monitoring like all the time. She's got other things going on too. So I'm not selecting Yeah, no, I, I agree with that that line of thinking. So a, so when we're talking about ambulatory ECG monitoring, usually that's in the form of an event monitor, uh, which is a, like a week long thing where you click a button every time you get a palpitation or a, a Holter monitor where you just sort of let it run. We use it a lot more in real life than I think it actually shows up on board questions in board land. The only situation where I could think that that would be the correct answer is if you had absolutely none of the other uh, physical exam findings. So she had a perfectly normal heart rate. She had no goiter. She had no, um, you know, anything else and then had a perfectly normal EKG uh, with some palpitations going on for a couple of weeks. It wouldn't be unreasonable to consider ambulatory uh, ECG monitoring at that point, but that is the only situation where I think that's that's going to come up on, on boards. Got it. All right. So next we've got uh, getting a serum TSH level. Yeah. 
this is attractive. Um, palpitations, a big, uh, you know, uh, a symptom within hyperthyroidism. Um, and then we have an actual thyroid finding an enlarged firm thyroid gland and sinus tachycardia. So, um, to me, that's like, uh, I think this lady's got some form of hyperthyroidism. I don't know, but I definitely know I'm going to have to rule that out, um, before doing anything else. So I like choice. B. I do too. It's a good choice. So a TSH is a great test and it's generally going to be your first or your, your best next test or your first test whenever you're talking about anything uh, with disorders of the thyroid. There's no really better test uh, in terms of an initial thyroid function screen. So definitely a great one for uh, anyone who's got thyroid findings and is symptomatic in any way. All right. What about C, urine catecholamines? Uh I mean, lady's got palpitations, this murmur, and uh, she could have like one of the men, multiple endocrine neoplasia syndromes, you know, but I don't know. Why wouldn't you pick that one? It could always be one of those multiple endocrine neoplasia syndromes. Uh, that's true. Uh, nice. So interesting. I, I, I thought this was a little funny. So I, what they're getting at is a, uh, a pheo, pheochromocytoma. But actually, I, I'm pretty sure in all the review books, and as far as I can tell, the uh, plasma metanephrine is the preferred initial screen, mostly because any test where someone has to carry around a, a bottle of their own urine for 24 hours is uh, less than ideal. So yeah, uh, yeah. It, if it's not the preferred test for even the thing that they're asking and then you know the lady's not hypertensive she's not getting headaches uh some of the other secondary signs of a of a pheo i would avoid that answer yeah and i think even in in cases where some of the symptomatology overlaps the 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 point you make there is that specific interrogatory the most appropriate next step Mm -hmm. in diagnosis is going to be to rule out the you know horses over the zebras as they say exactly um all right, echocardiogram. Um, I, that one's attractive. Like, it's got this murmur. Something's wrong with the valves. Uh, maybe that's what's causing her palpitations. Why, why not yeah. just get an, an echo? And that's uh, that, that does make this a, a very attractive answer. And it helps if you are familiar with the fact that it's a mitral valve prolapse murmur. If she if she got admitted for this for what you know for whatever reason she probably would get an echo at some point during her workup. But again, just looking at the next test, the least invasive, the things you need to screen for, if she's thyrotoxic. That would be something that you really ought to start immediately treating for. So if you you make the distinction that there's something else going on with the thyroid. Um, and you've got a murmur of a relatively benign valvular disorder, uh, you can come to the conclusion that it's uh, the echo is not going to help. And the echo so rarely diagnoses um, causes for palpitations or syncope or anything like that. You can see like a, a, a bad valve problem, but uh, if you didn't suspect that was the root cause to begin with, then you're not going to get any added information other than your physical exam that you did. So that leaves us then with choice B, correct choice. answer, serum TSH level. Ladies got hyperthyroidism. 
Most likely. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to offer on that? Uh, no, I think that's a great question. It combines the endocrine and cardiology uh, realms. So always good to get those mixed questions in. Absolutely. If you like learning on the go, don't forget our all audio QBank iOS beta app drops any day. Go to insidetheboards.com, sign up for our email list so we can notify you when it's finally approved and released by Apple, as well as the full scale cross-platform app we should be on track to release by the end of may you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for a pilot version of the all audio qbank there's a step one version and a step two version that you can get access to in the form of long form podcast type tracks just click the link in the show notes or go to insidetheboards.podbean.com. The introductory pricing will be phased out once our app releases, so get in on it now and happy studying. The music for today's podcast is by DJ Bezel. The track is King Jeff and his apprentice Bart. Elizabeth listened to this and said <laughs> after I mentioned that he happens to be my son that I should also mention that he's only 12 years old. So if you are so inclined, head over to SoundCloud and follow DJ Bezo. That's B-E-E-Z-O. You will certainly make a 12-year-old kid's day, and I would certainly appreciate it. As always, thanks for listening. 